I am so excited to be here. Um, I, I will tell you, I am extremely humbled to be able to fill in for Pastor Tim this morning. Um, he called me a few weeks ago and he asked me to, to fill in that he was going to be out of town. And, and I regard Pastor Tim as my favorite um, preacher, speaker, incredible storyteller. So I am, I am um, extremely honored to be able to fill in for him today, but also um, standing in some big shoes as well. So, um, so pray with me and for me as I, as I share the word this morning that, um, that I do justice to um, your leader. Um, so, so thankful for Woodburn Church. It's been an incredible honor to be partnered with you guys. You guys are one of three churches that have partnered with us since day one. Um, on the campus of Western Kentucky University, working with all of our coaches and athletes, and I can tell you that almost every sport on campus, 14 of our 16 sports, either has a chapel, has um, involvement with FCA, or has someone on that team being discipled through the ministry of FCA. And so thank you for your involvement. Um, Rod told you a little bit about me. He told me, he told you about the stuff that doesn't matter anymore. I'm a washed up old, old football player. None of that stuff matters anymore. Um, but what's most important to me right now is my family. And, and I, I love sharing um, about my family. My wife is actually leading, um, leading our worship team at, um, at our home church Hillview this morning. So that's why she's unable to be with us. But as you can see, my children inherited her beauty. Right? Praise God for that. Because um, they would be funny looking if they just got what I gave to them. Um, but then, so there's my wife, Stacy. There's my oldest daughter, Naomi. Now, um, we have two boys as well. And since day one, I have always said that Naomi's going to be the best athlete. Okay? Me and my wife have gone back and forth about that. But Naomi's starting to, starting to peak. She, um, she just finished her soccer season with her soccer team where she's the goalie. And they beat all the other teams, a combined score, 52 to nothing. All right, so I am winning one bet in my house, okay? Um, so Naomi's been an incredible athlete and a great competitor and just um, the apple of my eye. And then my son, Cannon, is probably the most handsome little boy I've ever seen in my life. He routinely has um, girls at school just randomly bring him gifts. And I'm like, Cannon, where did you get that? And he was like, she brought it to me, Dad. I don't know. So he's, he's going to be a CEO or a quarterback or something. He's, he's been blessed to be beautiful. And then we've got my youngest son, Duke. Okay, now Duke is your resident neighborhood bully. Okay? <laughs> now, he, he hasn't come to Christ yet. All right? So, so please pray for him before he gets out in the world because he's going to be a handful. But this is my family, and, and we love it here in Bowling Green, and we love having the opportunity to serve. And I want to share one more picture with you guys. This is Jaden Hunter. This is one of our defensive ends on the football team last year that I had the opportunity to lead to Christ, but also to walk um, through the waters of baptism. And the report that I am most proud about is we've had over 45 athletes and coaches um, give their lives to the Lord, but also walk through baptism in almost the four years that we've been there. So you guys are a huge part of that, and we thank you for your partnership. This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, and I am really excited to share 
this passage of scripture with you. It's the, it's the, the passage that we went through in our coaches' Bible study. So what I've tried to do this morning is, is jam about three or four weeks of coaches' Bible study into 30 minutes. So I'm going to move quickly. Keep up with me, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 32. And this has quickly become one of my favorite passages of Scripture to read, but also to preach because there's so much there. And to really get all that the Scripture has laid down for us to receive, what we have to do is we have to understand the context in which Jesus told this parable. We have to understand the context, but we also have to understand all of the characters and their role in, the, in, in this individual story. So the context, Jesus is telling this story to the religious elite, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, but also to the common churchgoer. And what has happened in their culture is the, the, the pastors and the leaders of the church keep building these walls higher and higher to get to God. There's more and more things that the people have to jump over, more things they have to do to, to be right with God. And what it's created within the church, within the communities of people who desire to know God in relationship is it's, it's created a lot of disappointment. And it's created this idea that it's impossible to reach God. And so part of the reason why Jesus tells this story is he wants the people to hear that God desires to be in intimate and personal relationship with them. And he tells this story to begin to tear down the walls that the religious elite have built up. There's three main characters, and, and what I love with our coaches' Bible study is I got an opportunity to spend about 30 minutes looking simply through the lens of each character, and each person is important. First, you have the prodigal son, and that's, that word prodigal is very rarely used um, today, but, but this is what it means. It means to spend money or resources freely and extravagantly. This young man came from a family of means. And so from the first day he was here on earth, he always had the best of the best. And so his, his engagements with everyone around him, he was a continuation of that. When he, when he had friends and when he had birthday parties, he's that one kid on the block that, that, that has everybody at their birthday party and all of the, the blow-ups and all of the balloons and all of the slides. He's got it all. But what happens and what happened to this young man because it was given to him and not earned was it ended up destroying him. And it ended up being his ruin. Receiving all of those things creates in a person an emptiness. Um, but it also creates this sense of entitlement where you're led by impulse and your feelings as opposed to reason and logic. And ultimately where it led the prodigal son, and we all know how this story ends, is it led him to spiritual and financial ruin. So that's the prodigal son. Then you have the, the older brother. And I'm going to title him the self-righteous older brother. 
See, the, the self-righteous older brother is that, that, that sibling in your family that you hate the most. They always get straight A's. They always do what they're told. They are the one that, that throws the first punch but never gets caught. That's the self-righteous older brother. And what's so interesting about this story is <clears throat> both brothers struggle with the same sin. We'll see that as we go through. But what the self-righteous older brother has become really good at is creating this image or this facade of who he is so that he can go and do his sin secretly while the prodigal son does his sin publicly and suffers the consequences. And then finally, we have the, the loving father. And Jesus is painting a picture of who God the father is. It is a father who is compassionate and kind and wise and experienced and loving. And what you have to understand about the, the picture of the man that, that God painted in this story is this. That this is a man who has been extremely successful in his life. He has built up large amounts of acreage and livestock and a staff to, to work all of these fields and all that he owned. But he did not allow the success to inflate his ego. He was thankful. And because he was thankful, he lavishly blessed everyone around him. And the prodigal father created a prodigal son. And so those are our characters. And um, turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 11 through 32. But I'm going to navigate through 11 through 19 first. And we're going to stop every so often so that we don't miss anything. Because again, there is so much, so much meat on this bone. I could spend an hour up here, but I know y'all have plans after this. Um, if you have your Bible, um, we're going to begin in verse number 11. And it says, And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Underline that in your Bible. Highlight that in your tablet. Reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to the one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, that's another underline, came to himself. Sorry, I'm sorry, 15. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Luke 15, I'm on verse 17 now. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. 
I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Let's stop there. And I want to go back to 15 verse 12. Jesus just moves past this high offense. And I really want to pull this apart so you get what what the scriptures are trying to tell you happens in, in verse number 12. And it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. What you have to understand about the Jewish culture at that time is your wealth was comprised of acreage and livestock and staff, things that could not be easily liquidated. And so for a a son to request his inheritance from his father, number one, he was saying to his face, I wish you would die so I could have your stuff. A high offense from a son to a father. But for that father to simply meet that request meant that that father had to literally tear his life apart. He had to sell off large portions of his acreage not knowing what season they're in. They might have crops on that land. He had to sell off livestock. Not only was this offensive, but this was completely out of bounds because, number one, these were not his possessions. These were his father's possessions. But not only were they his father's possessions, but he was number two in line behind his older brother. So not only is he offending his father, asking his father to rip his life apart, but he's also jumping over his brother. And what verse 12 does so gracefully is it paints the picture of a loving father who freely gives his son the desires of his heart. A savior who carries an old rugged cross up on a hill and bleeds and dies for his people. The law gave that father the right at that request of that son to stone him to death. But he did not do that. He lovingly turned over one-third of his possessions. And then this son takes those possessions and goes to a far country. To to leave Bowling Green and go to Las Vegas was, was not far enough because the scripture says he literally leaves the country. So he has to go to Amsterdam or he has to go to some other deep, dark place to engage in the sin that he's, he's birthed in his mind for years. What will I do when I get my hands on my inheritance? Again, he goes to the far country so that no one would recognize him or his family line. Let's continue to go. Looking at verse verse 20, we're going to move down to 24. 
And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. A father who has been offended at the highest level What I imagine this father does after his son leaves with his heart clearly broken as he rises early every morning to, to sit on the porch and oversee his land and, and, and break open his Torah. And every morning he sits there in anticipation to see his son return. And on the day that his son returns, he runs out to greet him. And he continues to be the father he has always been by pouring out an incredible blessing to his son. The scriptures say this. They say that during those times, men didn't run. Little kids ran. Men of wealth especially didn't run. So it tells you the heart of that father and how excited he was to be back in relationship with his son. And this isn't just any old welcome home party. This is a festival where he has invited the entire city to come and not and not scold his disappointment of a son, but to celebrate the rebirth of the relationship. And he feeds everyone. And as I continue to go back and look at this scripture and, and really try and gather the heart of God, the, the, the question that I wrote in the margin was this. When, when you have failed God and he looks in your direction, what do you imagine he's filled with? I'll answer from my perspective. For a long time, I thought that he was filled with anger and disappointment and that he didn't want anything to do with me. And where I picked that up was, was in my home, when my parents would discipline me at 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. They would discipline me, and then they would send me off to my room. And what that communicated to me at 8, 9, 10 years old is when I fail, those who I've disappointed don't want to have anything to do with me. And what happens to us so often in life is our experiences with broken, fallen people in this world, we attribute that to God and who he is. And so much of the answer to your question 
has nothing to do with what God's Word has said or your experience with Him. It simply is the experience that you've had with other broken people. And what we have to do as believers is we have to stop attributing the brokenness of people to God. Because what this scripture tells us wholeheartedly is that when we fail, when we disappoint God, when we are in our deepest, darkest sin, that when we return to God, he is excited. He is filled with compassion. And he does not withhold any blessing. He pours out more blessings on us so that we can clearly understand that he desires relational proximity over religious performance. Let's continue. Verse 25. <clears throat> now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. Let's pause right there. He is so far out in a field that there is a festival going on in his house. And he, he has absolutely no clue what's going on. He is just as far away from the father as the prodigal son is. But he's put off the image that his relationship is different. He's put off the image to others that he's in a closer proximity, but he's just as far out. And he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and engaged him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. And you never, ever gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was, a, was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. Both brothers are struggling with the same issue. Their issues are... Sin, one being public sin, one being secret sin. Because the question you have to ask is, why do you have to go out that far where nobody can see you or hear what you're doing? No one can give an account whether you are out in the field working or if you are out in the field sinning. Both brothers are struggling with a proximity issue. They are not in close relationship with the father. They live in his house. They worship him on Sundays, but they do not have a relationship with him. Wow. 
The father to both brothers are simply a means to an end. A way for them to get what they really want, which is the blessings of the father, without engaging in authentic relationship with the father. And as I begin to put this message together for our coaches, I thought, man, this would be really good. It speaks to who God is for those who don't know him. We've got some young coaches that have joined us. We've got some, some seasoned coaches that have been with us for some years, and, and it speaks to both. And I really thought for, for much of my life that this parable is a message for the lost. But the more and more time I spend looking at it, I understand that this is a message for the church. This is a message for those who are young in their faith or growing in their faith, who don't have a relationship with Christ yet, who are still living recklessly, that God desires to be in close proximity to you, that he is loving and kind and wants to pour out his blessings on you. But to the old, well, let me take that back. I, I don't like using old. The closer and closer I get to 40, I, I, I like the term seasoned. <laughs> well, there's a little flavor that has come with that experience. To the seasoned, what this story speaks to is our ability to hide our sin. Our ability to go off and sin in places where no one can see us, where no one can hold us accountable. And to both, the sin becomes destructive in their lives. The sin that it produced for the self-righteous older brother is it produces an arrogance where he he has an incredible disdain in his voice when he speaks to his father, a, a disrespect for a man who has given you an incredible life but, but also has built something to leave to you. And he wrongly assumes, just like his younger brother did, that those things were his. They were not his. They belonged to the father, and the father was simply allowing him to be blessed from his things. Both brothers felt like the father was more valuable to them dead than alive. And I wonder sometimes as I, I take a look at the, the, the church in, in 2021, I wonder do we have that same issue that we see God as more valuable hung on a cross than living and active in our own lives. Where is the value in the relationship? Where is the proximity that we desire to have to God? Or are we simply going through religious performance in an effort to put out an image to the world and to other people that we got it all together? There's deep, deep questions here in this text. Let's look at verse 30. 
And, and this is what self-righteousness and arrogance leads to. It says, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Nowhere in the scripture does it ever say that the prodigal son engaged and spent any of his inheritance on prostitutes. The scriptures simply say reckless living. I looked at five or six different versions. But every time you hear someone speak or teach this passage, whenever they reference the prodigal son, they always wrongly assume that reckless living included prostitution. And what the self-righteous love to do is tear down the image of others in an effort to build themselves up. What the self-righteous older brother also secretly reveals is his own heart, what he would do with the money once his father was dead and he was in control of those assets. And so as we close this morning, I think the message is clear to both the young and the seasoned in the faith. That the freedom and the sin of this world will cost you more than you imagined and you will pay that price longer than you imagined. In high school, I buried teammates. In college, I had a friend fall off the back of a trailer at a NASCAR event and never put her feet on the ground again. But what the the young in the faith have to do is what the prodigal son did in verse 17. In verse 17, it says that he came to himself. Never forget who your father is. Never forget what your last name is. You bear the name of Christ. And as long as you are bearing that name, you can return home to a father who is waiting for you, who is sitting on the porch hoping that you will break the horizon. For the seasoned, secret sin is just as deadly and destructive as public sin. Just because we've developed the ability to hide our sin, to get away with our sin, that, that does not mean that our, that our sin is not creating the same destructive and deadly results in our lives that it once did. It's even worse because now we're getting away with it and we get more bold in our sin. Hypocrisy is to delude yourself into denying your own sins and allowing arrogance to grow in you. And finally, God is more concerned with relational proximity than religious performance. He always has been. He will never change in that area 
He is more concerned about the condition and his position in your heart than anything you could ever do for him. And so my challenge to you guys as the church, the challenge to myself is this. Every day we go out into the world and we present as one of the characters in this story. And my question is, when you engage with the world, when you engage with those who don't have a relationship with Christ, are you presenting as the prodigal son? Are you living recklessly? Are you engaged in things that you know that God has called you out of? Or are you presenting as the self-righteous older brother? who makes it more difficult for people to be in relationship with God, who create barriers to God, who make people say, if I got to be like him or if I have to be like her to be a Christian, I don't want anything to do with Christ. One of my favorite things about the scriptures that I think we all forget today is that sinners were drawn to Jesus. They flocked to him like moths to a light. Why don't they flock to us? What are we missing? Is it compassion? Is it forgiveness? Is it a willingness to look outside of ourselves? What are we missing as the church today that sinners run from us? Are you presenting as the self-righteous older brother? Or, Or this is my prayer, that you would present every day in the people that you work with and the people around you and the people that you live with in your home, you're presenting as the heart of the Father compassionate and kind and willing to pour out an incredible blessing. Every day we have a choice of who we present as. My prayer is that we would present as the Father every day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture and this reminder of how much you love us, how you see our sin and our brokenness and you still love us and you still want to be in relationship with us. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the faith that we would not grow weary in doing good, that we would continue to present the gospel in the way that we live, but also with our mouths and wrap our arms around the broken and the brokenhearted of this world and bring them into the family of God. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this opportunity to share. Lord, I ask that you will just continue to keep your hand on this church. This we ask in your precious son, Jesus' name. Amen.